to another edition of the Air It Up podcast presented by Inside the Hashes. I am your host, Juan Correa, and I'm joined in Skype and phone call with a room full of experts. I got Jerome Jones working in production, and I got Avery Collins on the phone. I got Chris Thomas joining me on the Skype. What's up, guys? Hey. Yo. Yo, what's going on? Now, for listeners of the podcast that are very avid and keep track, we have not been on over the past two weeks. It's, it's pretty natural. We all have like our, our own lives to live, and things start to come up. So, um, you know, we're, but the matter is we're back on it. We're doing our thing, and yeah, I'm just glad to be back. What about you guys? I'm I'm definitely happy. I love talking football, man. It's very refreshing to see beautiful faces every every other week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just excited, man. We got through to the draft. Me, so. <laughs> Avery, crazy. As Chris mentioned, as we have three weeks uh, left until the NFL drafts, uh, which gives us a chance to uh, tell you guys a little bit about our draft coverage. Jerome, can you let our listeners know about what we got planned for the NFL draft? We have a live draft coverage on April 25th through the 26th. So that would be the Thursday and Friday. We're going to be live, giving live reactions to every pick. Um, make sure you check us out. We're going to be on Facebook, um, most likely going to be on YouTube, uh, Instagram. So check us out inside the hatches. Um, check us out on inside the hatches.com as well. It's going to be a fun time. Um, you know, you come in and see our reactions and ha- just have fun with us. All my constituents, all three of my constituents here will be there. I, however, will not be due to the fact that I'll be out. It's his birthday! Aside from that being my birthday, I'm working three straight days as a waiter serving people food while watching my Jets pick third overall. <laughs> birthday trade down. Either way, I'm good. I already got my quarterback, so I really have no desperate need to actually see my Jets either like really mess up on the third overall pick or hit a home run with it. Uh, but I can't count on Chris live tweeting the whole event for me so I can keep track. <laughs> All right. Ah, well, still getting a little bit uh, back into the mojo of things right now. We were off for the past two weeks. So let's just hit, head on over to the rundown. The rundown. So first piece of news that we got today, Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson has set an April 15th deadline for the Seahawks to come, with him, to, come to him with a new contract. Russell uh, Wilson is interested in becoming the league's highest-paid quarterback past, past Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. According to ESPN, the deadline was set to make sure that the contract talks don't become a distraction during the Seahawks' offseason program. Speaking of the Packers, former Packer wide receiver Jordy Nelson said in an interview that he would be open to rejoining the Green Bay Packers if, quote, Aaron Rodgers came calling. Jordy Nelson told ESPN that he couldn't really reject uh, a call from Aaron Rodgers, and how could he? The, the pair had a 10-year run in which they come, in which they put together over almost 8,000 receiving yards, four 1,000 receiving seasons, uh, 69 touchdowns, and a Super Bowl victory. Former Rams and Broncos running back C.J. Anderson is joining the Detroit Lions on a one-year deal. The two-time Super Bowl attendee, one-time Super Bowl champion, will join a crowded Lions backfield alongside Carryon Johnson, Theo Riddick, and Zach Zenner. Uh, according to NFL's Tom Pelissero, the Cowboys extended suspended defensive end Randy Gregory's contract through the 2020 season. Per Pelissero, $310,000 of the existing 2019 salary 
uh, was converted into a signing bonus. The 2020 added year is worth 735000 more with Escalator. Moving to not just the other side of the pond, but the other version of football, the Tottenham Hotspur's new stadium is officially up. According to a description of the stadium from Wikipedia, it is designed to be a multi-purpose stadium and features the world's first dividing retractable football pitch, which reveals a synthetic turf pitch underneath for NFL London games, concerts, and other events. Out of the four NFL games that will be played in the UK, Tottenham will host two of them, while the other two will be held at Wembley. And finally, uh, a little bit more of a personal news for myself, the New York Jets will be unveiling new uniforms. A few images were leaked out of the Jets' new uniforms with an alternate black uniform set to debut. No official confirmation as to whether or not those pictures were legitimate. And that is the rundown. I saw Jerome give me a dirty look when I was talking about the Jets' new uniforms. Let me ask you, man. If the Eagles came out with new uniforms, would you like that? Like, would you appreciate it? It all depends, man, how it looks. Like, sometimes some of these new uniforms do not look that good. Um, example, the Buccaneers. Oof. Oh, God. I can't stand their uniforms. I hate them. Oh, oh. Chris, what do you think? Those Jets uniforms look absolutely awful. <laughs> Hold on, Chris. Hold on, Chris. Hold on. Let the let the official pictures come out because those pictures were kind of blurry and kind of distant. So let let the official ones come out. Then we can, you know, yeah, have I, our judgment. I, 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 my eyes were, you know, hurting. <laughs> I, got, I got a side with Chris on this one. I was disgusted by what I saw. No, like, I was you, too. You, that's what you come up with? I was too, but again, those it, it was just like leaked photos that were blurry, and you can't get the full detail. You can't really look into it. Just, just, just be patient, and you know, see how it goes after. <laughs> Let me ask Avery. So Avery, um, what do you like better, the Falcons' old school uniforms or the modern day that they have today? Without question, the Falcons' old school uniforms, man. Those so bad jerseys are phenomenal. I like even the logo. Like, I like the old logo better than the new one. Um, I think the only really, like, the, the ones I kind of like that um, of the Falcons that are new are, I like the color rush, and I like when they do the all black, but other than that, um, the older uniforms are, without question, way more fire. But I'm like a throwback type of guy anyway, so... I agree. I agree. For me, uh, it's the same situation with me and the Jets. Like, it's I like the 1980s uniforms that they have with that color pattern, and especially like how they took that color pattern and put it into their uh, into their Thursday night getup. The the full color alternate uniform that all the NFL teams had. I, I forgot what the the promotion for that was called, uh, but it was rush. a great color. Yeah, the color rush uniforms. Like, I love that color. I love that scheme. I was hoping it'd be like a similar take, just like with a different color pattern. But, you know, we'll see what happens in, in a couple hours when they unveil them. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so right now, we, let's just jump into our first topic of the day. And let's jump into real, real quick, the NFC West needs. We've got the San Francisco 49ers, the Seattle Seahawks, the Arizona Cardinals, and the Los Angeles Rams. And first, we're going to start off with Chris, with the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers had a really interesting offseason. I think Quan Alexander was probably one of the more underrated um, pickups throughout that offseason. I love his game. Um, he's 24 years old. He's coming off a serious ACL injury, but I believe he'll bounce back. 
Um, as far as needs go, they're definitely going to need a lot more help on the back end. They got plenty of guys. They got Solomon Thomas, the addition of Juan Alexander. Obviously, Ruben Foster didn't work out, but really outside of Richard Sherman, they really don't have much to speak of in that back end. So I think definitely in this draft, even though it's they have the second pick of the draft, and Nick, it, I'll say this, they definitely need secondary help, but if the Cardinals really do go ahead and get Kyler Murray, which in my opinion will be a mistake in my honest opinion, and then Nick Bolsa's there, you got to get Nick Bolsa. He's an absolute game changer. He's revered to be a lot, a lot better than uh, his older brother, Joey Bolsa, and that will definitely uh, transcend their defense to probably that top 10 category, which they're definitely going to be needed to clop him in an offense that's going to get Jimmy Garoppolo back in shape. As far as the offense is concerned, probably some more offensive line depth, but and probably like a, num- a legitimate number one wide receiver like a DK Metcalf or, a, or like an A.J. Brown, somebody. But I like their wide receiver core. I like their uh, receiver core. Kyle Shanahan is not really that – really doesn't need like that big name guy. Uh, obviously, he had Julio Jones in Atlanta. But when you look at Dante Pettis, you see the, the year that uh, George Kittle had uh, Selleck as the number two tight end. I believe that he's going to be able to trust his guys. You bring in Tevin Coleman also with uh, Jared McKinnon. There's really not much here we're going to believe in this offense. Um, the really don't the major thing that the 49ers need to do is is just keep Jimmy Garoppolo upright. And I think uh, getting more depth in the trenches is definitely more prominent for them to have a successful season. Right, sticking with Chris here for a minute, we'll move over to the Seahawks needs. Aside from Russell Wilson asking for a major upgrade in his contract, and uh, Frank Clark still yet to sign his tender. Uh, where, where do you see the Seahawks' biggest need? I'm just going to be honest. I think they should – I think definitely in the back of the draft, they should think about getting uh, a backup quarterback in which they can try to groom for the future in case this Russell – case Russell Wilson contract doesn't pan out. Because there's already um, rumors brewing – uh, well, even before the whole Odell Beckham trade about Russell Wilson potentially going to New York to play for the Giants because that's what uh, his wife, Sierra, wants, you know, to help increase his brand. So if you're Seattle, you probably need to cover your bases and probably getting an option B in case you don't, in case the money's not right to pay for Russell Wilson. You're definitely going to need um, a lot better offensive lines. Russell Wilson has been constantly running for his life ever since his rookie year. They've never fully addressed the offensive line really at all. And when you traded Max Unger for that for the Jimmy Graham experiment, I think that really um, definitely hindered their offensive line a lot more than people want to give it credit for. Um, but I definitely offensive line help. Um, Russell Wilson's not a guy who really needs that legitimate, bona fide, number one star wide receiver. He can make what, what do uh, with um, – with Doug Baldwin and the, and the rest of those guys. I definitely should definitely probably look for a tight end. You have a late first-round pick, so potentially a Noah Faint would definitely, should definitely be on the books for uh, Seattle to potentially get in the late late first round. As far as defense is concerned, because it's a heavy defensive draft, probably one of the deepest defensive drafts of all time, you should definitely look for probably somebody in the defensive line in case Frank Clark doesn't pan out and if you can't reach a new deal with him. But as far as Seattle's going, they're, they're nine and seven. They made uh, they made the playoffs as a wild card team, in which a lot of people didn't have them as a wild card team at all. But I think the first things first is that 
you if Russell Wilson doesn't get that new contract, then I should definitely think um, getting a competable replacement should be definitely high on Pete Carroll's board. I guess if you're, sounds like to me that the Seahawks and the, and the 49ers have very similar needs. Uh, compared with the NFC West in general, all seems like it has very similar similar needs. I saw wide receiver, edge rusher, offensive line, and defensive line has similar traits throughout all four of them. But uh, Avery, I want to throw it over to you right now. Give me some of the needs that the Arizona Cardinals have to fill. Maybe not just in the draft, but with free agency as well with whatever's left over. Uh, before I do that, I just wanted to uh, state this because usually we don't agree on anything. But, Chris, I, I agree with every single point you made about the Seahawks. Like, literally, no no, no, um, no gripes with anything you said. Like, literally hit every point that I would have made if I had to, um, you know, do a rundown for this. <laughs> Chris's face right now. like he's being taken back. <laughs> His breath and taken from him. <laughs> Let the confetti fall. It's it's funny because it's, it's it's easy, but it's hard at the same time. It's easy because they need so much, but it's hard because they need so much. <laughs> um, so it's just like, where do you start, right? I think, me personally, and this is my personal opinion, I think that they are going to go in the draft and build. I think you know, more so in the draft. Um, so as far as free agents, I mean, offensive side of the ball, I should say, in the, in the draft. But So as far as, like, the, the remaining free agents that I think um, that are out there, I think they need to really address some things on defense. Um, I think at the end of the day, no matter what, if you, you know, if they if they stick with their current quarterback or if they decide to, you know, go ahead and draft, you know, Kyler Murray, which, you know, there's reports that, that's what they want to do. Regardless, it's going to be a young quarterback in the NFL, so you're going to you're going to need help. And one of the ways that you can help that young quarterback is to get him the ball as much as possible. Um, so you want to build that defense, the big defense, be able to hold them in games, keep the score down, so it, it's less pressure on them. Um, so for me, I think they just need to address some some things on the you know the defensive side of the ball. I think they did so. At, Essentially, with getting Terrell Suggs, um, but that's still kind of up in the air because he is, you know, an older, an older guy, you know, who's, who's an edge rusher. So, you know, he, he has lost a step. I think that somebody like Ezekiel Anza, maybe even Adrian Claiborne, could be could be something like a good fit. Somebody that um, can put some pressure on the quarterback, you know, cause some turnovers. Um, but like I said, it's just it's so difficult because there's so many, there's so <laughs> there's so many needs. And Donald can sue. I believe it's still out there. There's there's so many needs on that on that on that team that I think um, they can address so many different areas, and and they'll probably be better than they were last year. I really think that um, Patrick Peterson is still uh, one of, if not the best corner in the league. So I think that that helps you in the sense that you still have that corner that can you know shut down a receiver that can you know completely. Uh, dominate your side of the field. So I think that that helps. But at the same time, you know, nothing helps a, a defensive back better than, you know, pressure on the quarterback to throw off the timing. So that's where I would go, you know, somewhere on the defensive line. Yeah, and, and then I, I also have the Los Angeles Rams. This one is, again, another one where it's easy, but it's hard because, like, what do they need? They're, they're built for success. I mean, obviously, they had a Super Bowl run last year. Um I think for me, if there was one glaring thing, it would be um, the receiving core. I'm not 
completely sold on that court. Not to say that the New England Patriots have slouches, um, you know, as D backs. However, um, they were getting they were getting manhandled. Their receivers were getting manhandled in the Super Bowl. There was no separation. Um, there was nobody that you could say, you know, was like just making his 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 case to be you know, the number one guy on that team, anything. like, And then you see on the opposite end, Julian Edelman was having a freaking field there against, you know, again, marquee names in the business, you know, Keith Lee, Marcus Peters, guys who are looked at as, you know, premier corners in this league, and he was able to have his way with them. Um, and then, like, on the reverse end, there was, no, there was nothing happening for the Rams. So I think that the Rams need to address um, – that they need to address their receiving core. I think they just need a number one guy. I don't think that anybody that they have on their team right now is considered a number one, in my opinion. That's just how I view it. You saw that Jared Goff did so well with Cooper Cup in the slot. Wouldn't he technically be a number one option? I mean, he's on that team. I'm talking about, like, if they were to go to another team, none of those receivers is, is, like, going to be a number one option on the Falcons. None of them is going to be a, n- a number one option on the Raiders. None of them is going to be a number one option on, you know, even or even on the Eagles. Like, they're, they're not going to be a number one. The number one option for the Eagles is going to be Alshon Jeffrey. Whether Cooper Cup comes over, Brandon Cook, it doesn't matter. So, um, I just feel like they need somebody that is going to strike fear into the defense's, you know, heart. Um, and I think right now I don't see uh, – uh, you know, a receiver that's available right now on the open market as far as, um, you know, free agents, other than if he gets back to form, Des Bryant, um, and that's obviously up in the air. Um, if he can get back to form, uh, you know, Demarius Thomas, maybe he had, you know, a pretty good stretch there in Denver where he was considered elite. But, again, you're, you're taking a real risk in that in that area. So, me personally, I would address in the draft and – Somebody like Metcalf or AJ Brown, some some something, some guy who is like, man, we have this guy, we have to cover. We know what he can do, um, and even if we don't know just yet, obviously with these guys coming coming out and being rookies, it's just that that thought, that presence, like, yo, we can't let this guy get off. Um, so that that's just my opinion. I, I feel like everywhere else, um, they're pretty solid at, you know, they're pretty solid on the defensive side of the ball. Um, they're pretty solid, you know. Obviously, a running back, quarterback is good. I just feel like um, the receiving core is just a little weak. All right, yo, uh, Chris says he, Chris uh, lifting his hand right now. What do you got? Man? I really want to say wide receiver really is a glaring weakness. Obviously, you none of those guys are true, legitimate number one wide receivers like a like a Odell or Julio Jones. But those guys only come in handfuls, um, really. Kind of like the same as like a bell cow when it comes to running back. If everybody can have a running back, they can take like 20 carries a game, like a Shaquan Barkley, everyone will have it. I say, if anything, their biggest weakness is probably offensive line. They probably have one of the um, more aging and older offensive lines in all of football. So I think, if anything, because you really don't have a lot of draft capital this year, because of those trades that you get to Marcus Peters, um, you're going to be probably pressed to like probably address probably going to be reaching for an offensive lineman early. Another need that I really saw for potentially for the Rams is another running back to take uh, pressure off a of tie early. After the Super Bowl, that whole thing about him having arthritis in his knee 
And at him after getting like that big payday, so and CJ Anderson now gone, you're probably going to need somebody else to, you know, take that pressure off Ty Gurley in case it comes I, off. I, I, was gonna, I was actually going to say that as well, but I was like, in my, in my head, I'm like, a backup to me is not as important as a dominant number one receiver, right? Like, I, but I agree with what you're saying as far as like, you know, you definitely want to back up. And I was thinking somebody maybe like a TJ Yeldon, somebody who's just kind of fits that mold where, you know, because they, they like to use uh, T.J. Yeldon as a, as a, um, a scat back, a receiving back, and different things like that. So I could see that being a good fit. But, again, I'm more worried about, like, that number one, the starters. Like, and I just, for me, and, and you did make a good point about the offensive line, but the offensive line wasn't terrible. It got They got them to the Super Bowl. They, uh, Todd Gurley had multiple touchdowns. Like, I mean, he was, he had a, he had a field day. Now, granted, that's, probably more of a credit to Ty Gurley's talent than anything, but at the same time, you know, it's not like Jared Goff was getting stacked, uh, you know, extremely, uh, an extreme amount of times. Um, it's not like Ty Gurley was getting hit in the backfield an extreme amount of time. Um, just for me, like I said, even just watching the Super Bowl, watching the games in general, there was never really a consistent, other than Cooper Cup, there was never really a consistent guy that was like a go-to person um, everybody was pretty inconsistent. And like I said, you look at the opposite end where Julian Edelman was so consistent. Like third down comes, you know he's where Tom Brady's looking. You know where he's looking. If it's not Edelman, it's Gronk. And they were like I said, Gronk, uh, Edelman was able to have his way with that secondary, right? And so like that's what that's what I'm saying. I, I would be looking for somebody who's just like you know we need we need a play to be made right now, and. You know, I agree. I agree as well that you know it, there's only a handful of guys, but that's why I said maybe address it in the draft because I, I mean, obviously there's no marquee receivers that are free agents that are going to be able to do that for you. Um, but if you're looking, if you're looking in the draft, it's a possibility. But uh, we got we, we got to move on to the next topic right now. Only a limited amount of, amount of time we got, so we're moving on to the next topic right now. Uh, speak because uh, we've been breaking down the NFC West, so we're going to talk about another type of breakdown, a financial breakdown. In this case, uh, not in the NFL, but in the AAF. As was reported a couple days ago, the AAF has suspended all football operations. Um, situation is pretty pretty bleak for the new developmental league. Uh, what happened was the new, own, the new majority owner of the league, uh, Tom Dundon, who's also the owner of Topgolf, which we have here in New Jersey, and Carolina Hurricanes of the NHL, at first, he pledged $250 million to the AAF to help support it. But he only gave out that money in weekly payments. So he never gave the full amount of money. Um, there were rumors spiraling that he wanted to shut down the league from the start so that he could uh, take their technology models and ideas for himself. Uh, of course, the shutdown of this league has had major ramifications for those who have participated in it. Players and coaches of the league have invested so much of their time, so much of their bodies, and so much of their lives into trying to make this a second chance for them uh, to have a football career. And uh, we, we see a lot of players having to uh, pay for their stays in the hotels where they have where they were supposed to have a game in. We see coaches losing the opportunities to scout for the league in the future. Uh, there were even promises to give these uh, coaches laptops to help uh, further their scouting opportunities and build the league up into a true developmental league. So, guys, I got to ask you guys, 
was this doomed from the start for the AAF? We've seen comp- competitive leagues come come and go, uh, but this was supposed to be a developmental league, not not someone that competes against the NFL, but works with them. So with Tom Dundon t- uh, taking the rug from underneath his organization, does this mean that no, a developmental league can never happen for football? Uh, Avery, I'm going to give it to you first, man. Uh, first of all, to answer your question, uh, was this doomed from the start? If that was the intent, yes. Right? If your intent was to be a developmental league for the NFL, um, like a farm system, then yeah, it was doomed from the start. Um, one of my, one of my, one of my close friends, Deontay Daniels, made a point, um, who, and he stated, like, why not just be your own league? Right? Like, why not just be your own league? Not, necessarily compete with the NFL, but just be your own league. Now, if you get to a point where you grow and you get, you know, so big that you're competing with the NFL, then so be it. There's nothing wrong with friendly competition. It is what it is. That's, you know, kind of the nature of American society. But it's just when you're trying to make a farm system, now you're you're, you're dependent on other people inside, outside of yourself. And that right there is, you know, you're doomed for, for failure, especially when it comes to the NFL, because, you know, we already know that the NFL is only worried about their brand, not, nothing else. They're only worried about their brand. So um, I think the, another point um, that was made was the fact that football is not like baseball or basketball where um, you can play for, you know, five years and then move up and still be, you know, fresh and in your prime – Football is taxing no matter what level you play on. I don't care if it's high school, college, semi-pro, AAF, NFL. It doesn't matter. It is taxing on your body. You cannot spend five years playing football, full contact sport, and then expect to, to move up and just be fresh and, you know, automatically walk into a five-year contract. That, that's not how it works. Um, because of the, the high physical demand that it places on your body. I mean, you can really you know, injure yourself for a lifetime playing the sport. So to try to make it a developmental league where, oh, you can play for three, four years and then move up, I mean, it sounds good, but at the, at the, at the same time when you take a step back and look at it for what it is, it's like that's three years of football against, you know, former NFL players, D1 college Like these guys are legit. They just maybe didn't have enough at the time to make it on the biggest level. But and on top of the fact that they have, um, in general, allows more hits that are excruciatingly painful and can potentially cause harm than the NFL does right now. So you're, you're, you're creating a, an atmosphere for, um, for, for failure. And so I do believe that if, the, like I said, that was the intent, you know, going into it, uh, to be a develop, developmental league for the NFL, then, yeah, it was, it was bound to be doomed. Um, I think that they should just be their own, be their own league. Go ahead and do what they're doing. Um, you know, people were actually watching the AF. People love football. And I think it was perfect because it didn't clash with the NFL in the sense that it wasn't around the same time during the same season. It was after the NFL season was over. Um, and people loved watching football so much that people actually were tuning in. People were starting to get drawn to certain teams. People were picking teams and picking players that they liked and different things like that. And people were rooting for familiar names and faces, Johnny Manziel and different things like that. People were rooting for them. 
Um, Trent Richardson looked like he was having a resurgence in his career that he could possibly move up. There were so many positive things um, that, that, that were going on with AF that I, I feel like if they would have just stuck to their own brand and stuck to doing it their way, then they would have been more successful. So, But that's just you know my opinion. Um, I hope it continues. Me personally, because I, I enjoy watching football. So, Dundon did come out like with uh, during an interview. I, I believe it was with ESPN saying that he wanted to try to push for trying to get the NFL Players Association to bring down future contract players to develop in with the AAF so they can move up to the NFL. But the NFLPA refused to do so due to all the uh, points that uh, Avery just brought up: injuries and competition and whatnot. Plus, with the CBA expiring uh, next year, there is going to be major contract talks and word of an overhaul of what's going to happen with the new CBA. Uh, Chris, um, with everything you just heard, do you agree or disagree with anything that Avery said, or do you have anything to add to it? The only thing I'm going to disagree is, not not even that, um, about that point about Johnny Manziel, but I agree with just about everything that Avery was saying in regards to Everything in regards to the uh, AAF, it was a perfect alternative. Everything was set up perfectly. It came right after the NFL season. It a bunch of team. It was a league that had a bunch of teams that doesn't already have a bunch of NFL teams like Birmingham. Um, so it was a nice alternative. Teams let each other hit. The games were going by faster. It had a bunch of teams that. You remember in the back of your head, but also at the same time, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember this guy. This guy was on our practice squad. And I'd watch the game. I'm just like trying to remind myself about how many Philadelphia Eagles or former Eagle players that were on uh, my team that were also in the AFF. Uh, but I definitely agree with Avery. And uh, his point about Devontae, it was doomed to start because it never sought out to be its own league. It sought out to be a developmental league. And when you look at the NFL and their their past, you keep speaking as ad, ad nauseum about it's never been a, the NFL has never been a moral compass for anything, and especially in regards to how they discipline their players in terms of who they blacklist. And even now, it what does it gain from really what's a does the NFL's bottom line get better or does it hinder if it becomes a developmental league? It doesn't gain from either one of that. You got to think most of these guys have already been through the grind of three and four uh, seasons already in college. It and you're talking about having these guys to go down, take salaries. Um, go, yeah, excuse me. You're you're talking about guys going down two to three years and then going back into the league, and yeah, it just wasn't going to work out. Um, I think the biggest con was that it was constantly a week-to-week basis on how these guys get paid instead of doubling down on it right now, kind of like how Vince McMahon the XFL is doing. He took off some of most of his WWE stocks to fund the XFL. So when it comes down, it's not going to get shut down on a week-to-week, potentially shut down on a week-to-week basis. It's going to have a, it's going to have the seasons in and out and bada-boom, bada-bing. But, yeah. It was going to fail from the start. It kind of sucks because a lot of people were beginning to pick teams. I was eventually going to start picking a team. Um, I was probably going to pick Birmingham. But it just it's just unfortunate because a lot of guys who were looking for those second-chance opportunities, a lot of those guys who 
went undrafted, look for the perfect alternative to probably jumpstart their career, and now they're out of a job, and now they everything that they were essentially promised is now gone after seven weeks. If I can put my, my own personal put on it, like I, I agree with everything that you guys have said, and then some, uh, in terms of the league being due from the start. I think the, the mission statement that it was going for into giving players a second chance was a bit of a failure. Uh, because it still carries the same amount of risk, the same amount of damage, especially with the advancement in age and strength of these players. They're like in their prime and their top peak physical condition. So, it, like, and with less in hitting rules, you have more chances of injury and more chances of financial loss. What I would have done, if what I personally would have done, if I wanted to uh, create the AAF, was not make it as a developmental league. Um, for the NFL, but make it a comp- a competing league against the NCAA college football program. That way, you attract younger players, development a lot better, and then you can start working on a farm system like for NFL teams. I like that. And that way, kids don't have to go to college, not get paid to 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 play college football, while like this massive entity is taking advantage of their image, of their of their of their play, and everything, like else, and they're not seeing a single cent. So the AAF as a funnel for college-age players and molding them strictly for football, that's all they want to do, would have been a much better idea. I love Versus. it. I like that idea on paper, right? Like, I love it from a moral standpoint. I love it from a developmental standpoint. I love it from just a standpoint of, you know, you're giving those guys who didn't, you know, get the D1 uh, calls or whatever, you're giving them a chance to play on a um, – higher level and get, um, you know, some more exposure. Um, so I love it from that standpoint, but if we're going to be real, like, let's just, just be honest about it. It's a dollars and cents um, thing. So in, if, we're, if if anybody thinks that the NCAA and the NFL don't work together, they're completely naive. Um, so, I, again, you know, going and, and competing against the NCAA is just like competing against the NFL. You know, that's the reason why, uh, specific schools get you know targeted more so than other schools and and different things like that. It's just if we're just being real, like that's literally what the farm system is. The farm system is the NCAA for the NFL. Like if we're just being honest about it, so you know competing against that is again still essentially competing against the NFL. However, I do like the idea just from from a moral and um, an overall standpoint. Hey, Chris, anything that. I think, I think that suggestion was perfect. It also puts up, it also doubles down on the pressure for the NCAA in terms of also her recruiting process for college football as well for them to readjust on the recruitment process and the fact that they can't make money off their own likeness. You have to think that boosters coming down and quote unquote um, giving more incentives to make sure that play, certain players go to certain universities and maybe it might actually affect their own CBA as well, that maybe it'll be about time that not for them to get compensated, but at least to make money off their own likeness. If they were that serious about it, uh, then it could have definitely affected them. But unfortunately, if the AAF uh, kind of took the same term as like um, LeVar Ball's uh, triple uh, big baller league, it, the big baller league was supposed to be an alternative for kids to, instead of going to universities and being taken advantage of um, and for universities to pay $3,000 a ticket to go see Zion Williamson and those kids not seeing a dime, 
they will go in there, they would make their own money, and it wouldn't affect their eligibility. However, uh, we all saw how that went, and we, unfortunately, we we're all seeing how the AAF is going as well. Well, I can only hope for a better future, especially when it comes to the health and mindset that these kids are coming from. Man. And to that extent, we're moving on to the final topic of the day. It's old. It's a little bit of old news, but it's something I've been wanting to talk about for the past two weeks. We haven't had a chance to do it. We all know it's major news. Patriots head in Rob Gronkowski, retired after nine seasons, 29 years old, three-time Super Bowl champion, multi-first-team All-Pro, multi-Pro Bowl selector, uh, there's really everything has everything has been said about Rob Gronkowski that can pretty much guarantee him a spot in Canton within the next five to seven years. Um, but one thing I want to explore with you guys is all hypothetical, but it's still a very interesting topic is the ripple effect that Rob Gronkowski has had uh, throughout the course of the league. Um, I'm not I'm not just talking about uh, what the Patriots are going to be doing, but I'm talking about who's going to step up as the next top tight end uh who um what team can take advantage of the Patriots losing one of their top weapons that they've had in the past decade or so so uh um actually no Chris I want to start off with you what do you see as like a major ripple effect from the Gronkowski retirement I think it definitely speeds up the clock through the Patriots window uh, obviously, Rob Gronkowski has dealt with um, a massive amount of injuries, whether it be elbows, concussion protocol, ankle injuries. But even still, when he's on the field, the Patriots are a completely different team when he's on the field. Obviously, um, you still have one of the lowest su- sc- scoring Super Bowl fairs of all time. However, Rob Gronkowski probably made the biggest catch of the game that put them in the position for the Sonny Michelle touchdown for, for them to go ahead and win the game. Yeah, it just shows that um, that that window of opportunity for New England's closing. And when you look at the AFC and all the moves that they're making, uh, John Gruden is slowly trying to mold his team into his image. He has three first-round picks. The the deal for Antonio Brown, and now you got the David Carr, not David Carr, Derek Carr, and Antonio Brown connection now. Um, the Raiders are coming. You obviously you see what Cleveland's doing. Cleveland is coming, and even their own, even in their own division. Um, the Bills have their quarterback of the future that they're going to be eventually building on. Um, the Jets, who had probably one of the better off seasons throughout the entire NFL, um, you saw what they were able to try to. You see what they're trying to do on defense, along with Jamal Adams and Leonard Williams. And even though I'm not the biggest fan of Sam Darnold, but you you got to think um, him getting paired up with probably one of the better uh, quarterback gurus and Adam Gase, and now adding Le'Veon Bell into the fray. Um, you can only see them getting better. But, yeah, um, this is definitely a, a calling card for all the AFC teams to, you know, step up and try to strike with the irons hot while the Patriots are vulnerable. Out of all the ones that you mentioned the most, who has the best chance of finally, after 20 years of dominance, who has the best chance of overtake, of taking the AFC away from the Wicked? You know, ironically, uh, when I was talking to my brother about this, um, I think it's kind of – I think it will be truly fitting that – Belichick's uh, dynasty will end to the team that he kind of spurned and left uh, with the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> I think misled there, Brandon. Yeah, Baker Mayfield is uh, <laughs> Baker Mayfield's going to be uh, legit. Um, I, I'm, I was a huge fan of him, and I called that number one pick last year. You add Odell, you got David Njoku, you got Jarvis Landry. 
Um, you bring Kareem Hunt, who's going to be gone for the first eight games, but um, bringing him into the later stretch, that offense is probably going to be one of the more uh, prominent offenses you see in the entire NFL. What they're doing on defense, obviously, um, at you still got Miles Garrett, who's absolutely legit. We have him right now on our podcast right now, Jerome. Uh, but uh, uh, huh. Ward, Denzel Ward is a Pro Bowl corner in his rookie year. Um, and yeah, I think I think they're going to be ready. Uh, that, and I think if they get home field advantage, similar to what I said to the Kansas City, if they find a way to get home field advantage and just home field environment against New England, and they have to go to that dog pound and probably one of the more wild and hungry fan bases in the NFL, then I think that might be I think that might be um, all she wrote for the Patriots dynasty. You brought the home pick. Uh, like the whole the the team that Belichick spurned. I thought you were talking about the Jets when when he left them after a, one day as a head coach. Man, you tricked me. You tricked me. And for the record, he was fired from Cleveland. He didn't leave. Cleveland. The hate's real. Um, but Avery, uh, so we got so we had Chris talk about like uh, the aftermath of what's going to happen to the Patriots. I want to talk to you about Gronk's uh, effect. As to tight ends as a whole, we saw the type that he was large, athletic, hard to bring down, extremely fast, and a great blocker. Uh, so, I guess two questions I have for you is number one, what is, what type of standard did Gronk set for tight ends? And right now, who is replacing him as a top tight end in the league right now? Uh, before I answer that, I want to touch on the the previous question. Um, let's not forget that the Patriots won a Super Bowl without uh, Gronkowski. Um, I'm not saying that to say, oh, they don't need him. Uh, but what I am saying is the Patriot way is still the Patriot way. They're still going to be the Patriots. The fallout from this is not going to be as dramatic as people think because they still have this dude. Um, I think he goes by the name Tom Brady. Um, and then there's some this dude. one. Some, I can't remember his name. Michigan guy. I think. Mm-hmm. Some Michigan guy, and then I think, if I remember correctly, there's this dude. Um, he goes by the name Bill. I think it's is it is Belichick? Is it Bel- Bel- Belichick? I think it is. Um, the Patriots are going to find a way. Um, I'm just uh, to me, I'm not sold on this being the end of the dynasty or the end of the. I think that obviously, you know, they're not going to be as. Um, uh, you know, as prolific as they've been over the last 20 years. However, they're still going to be favored uh, in the top five to come out of the AFC. They're still probably going to be favored to win their division. All of those different things. And because of that, because, like, if you can win your division, you're at a point where it's like, all right, now we're in the playoffs. Um, and then it's win or go home. And, you know, we're talking about a veteran team, a team that just knows how to get it done. Um, because of that, until – one of those two leaves. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say um, that the fallout um, from from Gronkowski retiring is going to be extremely dramatic. Um, so that's just my personal opinion. More importantly, there's people. You know, like I said, we just know the Patriots. They'll make a trade or draft somebody who can you know, fill that hole and different things like that. So I'm me personally. I'm not going to go that far. As far as the standard that Gronk set. Um, I loved it. Um, you know, a lot of people thought that he was unprofessional because of the, the fact that he was 
uh, exuberant and exciting. But me personally, I don't I don't think that there's a cookie cutter way to be professional. Everybody's not going to be Julio Jones, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, Marvin Harrison type demeanor. Some people can be professional and still be eccentric, and um, that's what I loved about Gronkowski. He wasn't he was a kind of, he wasn't a dirty player. Uh, he doesn't have a reputation as that. Um, he was a professional. He had a great locker room guy. Um, he was great in, in front of the media. He was uh, very articulate. Um, he was extremely funny and fun with himself, his teammates, the, the media. Um, everybody loved uh, Gronkowski. I mean, even people just in, in culture in general, you know, Shaq, um, you know, posted when, when, when Gronkowski retired. He was like, what do you do when your best friend retires? And different, you know, it's so it's, he had such an effect on people outside of just the game. Um, that I think that, one, it's not going to be the last that we've seen of him. Um, and two, um, I think he set the standard of enjoy this game and understand that at the end of the day, that's what we're here to do. We're here to have fun. Uh, we play this game for the love of it. It's not all about the checks. It's about just having fun. It's a yeah, man, you to be able to do that. And he was able to do it on the biggest stage for nine years, at the, and he was at the top of it for the majority of those years. So, um Kudos to him for setting that standard. I think as far as, you know, who's next, who's the, who's the, the next best, um, I think it, it's tough to, to say because of the way that the position has transitioned. Um, it's more of an athletic position now. Um, so you've got tight ends like Jimmy Graham, Antonio Gates, Tony Gonzalez, uh, Travis Kelsey. All of these guys are um, extremely athletic, um, and and more so receiving tight ends than they are, you know, the traditional Jason Witten, uh, you know, receiving and blocking tight end, right? Um, so I would I don't I don't think there's anybody in the league right now that is on that level other than maybe a George Kittle. Like George Kittle can possibly end up being like that because he's probably one of the better blocking tight ends, and we 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 saw what numbers he put up, you know, receiving the football, um, but. Because of the way the position is right now, um, if I was to pick out of what I'm seeing right now on film, without question, the answer is Travis Kelsey. Uh, based on the way the position is being played right now, Travis Kelsey is consistent. He, I mean, you got you have to double this guy. Um, it's, he's such a threat um, to 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 beat anybody who's covering him that you 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 got you got to double him. Um, he's extremely athletic. He's tall. He's strong. He's got great hands, great route running. Um, probably, if I if I would be honest, probably the best route running tight end I've ever seen. Um, so I, I just, me personally, I feel like the the next best outside of, like I said, you know, being a physical run blocking tight end, um, just for where the position is now and how it's transitioned, Travis Kelsey, without question. Looking at the two Eagles fans right now, they see the mention of Travis Kelsey. I, I, I know they don't show it, but I know they think it that like the mention of Zach Ertz not there. Uh, wait, Chris got something to say? No, my issue wasn't not him not talking about Zach Ertz at all. It was just the fact that he brought up Jimmy Graham. Yeah. I'll concede that Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in football or anything like that. What I was what I was alluding to was the fact that that is the way. The position is being played. It's, a, it's an athletic position at this point. Jimmy Graham, we all know, is he's, he's soft as a pillow, and that's what I'm talking about. But when you when you're talking about receiving the football, route running, being extremely athletic, all of those different things, he fits that mold. He does. Travis, uh, like I said, Travis Kelsey does. Um, 
you know, like I said, you had Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates when they were playing different things. So it, it's the way the the, the 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 position has transitioned. That's what people are looking for more so than like if you can get somebody like a Gronkowski or get somebody like a Jason Witten, then that is phenomenal. Um, I mean, let's be let's be honest. You know, Jason Witten's coming back for you. It's a possibility he ends up you know, having a, a, another good year. I mean, obviously, I don't foresee it, but because of just the fact that he can do both, he can receive the football, he can block, he's uh, a willing, I think that's the biggest thing, he's a willing blocker. Like, a lot of tight ends aren't willing to block anymore. They're trying to be more so receivers. You see people like Jimmy Graham who are like, pay me like a receiver because that's mainly what I do. And that's what I'm saying, like, the position has transitioned into that and because of that, that's what the, the, the mold is, that he fits into that mold. Um, me personally, like like I said, I would rather have somebody like Gronkowski, somebody who can block and uh, receive and be physical and you have to double them. But because of the way that, you know, the game is transitioned, it's just not it's not realistic at this, at, at this point in time um, to think that that's what um, teams are just eyeing for at this point. You know, they're looking for, okay, who's that next Tony Gonzalez? Who is the next Antonio Gates? If we can get a Robert and Kelsey, thank God. But just the way that they're Look, playing and being groomed nowadays. It's all about moving the football. Like, the game's more predicated offensively now. In the end, who can give me those who can give me those yards after the catch? Who can give me those good third down uh, catches? Zachary exactly. and Kelsey does in his face, including George Kittle. That's in the end. I'm not really yeah. Yeah, I think, like I said, I think George Kittle, George Kittle is 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 premier. I think he's uh, potentially going to be the best, um, you know, in in a couple of years. But obviously, I'm not going to, you know, crown him that uh, after one season. So um, I think that right now, again, right now, if we're speaking of Rob Gronkowski just retired, who's the next? Right now, it's without question Travis Kelsey because I'm, I can't go off of one year of seeing what George Kittle did. I, I'm going off of multiple years of seeing what Travis Kelsey has done. Um, so that's just, that's just you know, how, how I look at it. <laughs> all right. You know, guys, we can sit around here all day debating tight end models and Rob Gronkowski and everything that he's left. But unfortunately, we are out of We're out of time. You know, the, the next time we host this podcast, it better be in person. Because that way I can just like hold you two to a corner and just see like who can win in a shouting match between you two. But I can't do it through the digital space. How so. about a gloves? <laughs> <Drink gloves. laughs> my gloves stay in my trunk. Stop playing. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Oh, no. The, the draft's going to be fun, especially when we have it live. Um, so, guys, I uh, just want to wrap up everything. Thank you very much for listening to the Air It Up podcast. Remember, you can check us out on all our social medias, Facebook, Inside the Hashes, Instagram, at Inside the Hashes, Twitter, Inside Hashes, and, of course, InsideTheHashes.com, where you can find all of our recording podcasts, articles, and so much more. For the Air It Out podcast, I'm Kwong Green. Uh, that was Chris Thomas versus Alien Avery Collins. I got to put it right there. Pro- produced by the CEO. By our boss, Mr. Jerome uh, Jones. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Definitely. We won't be going on another hiatus. I promise. (laughs) All right, guys.